0: Uh, speaking of listeners, <coughs> Lay it on me. welcome to Luke's Talk Wine, my name is Luke and I work for a big wine company.
1: My name is Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. And today we're going to talk about, oh where is it, oh yeah. low alcohol
0: wines. Uh, why the French don't put grapes on their labels? And whatever has been happening in your wine world this week, pal, Luke Campbell.
1: Well, thank you very, very, very much, and hello to the listening audience, Luke. This week, actually, just on the back of last week's conversation about cryptocurrency, crypto wine. Oh, yeah. Yep, I found Are you myself
0: starting to yes. accept cryptocurrency yourself now.
1: Well, I don't know if I'll be accepting crypto count currency just yet. Um, no the pandemic has affected many aspects of Australian life with alcohol unsurprisingly being the go-to stress reliever for many people. But what really popped up in my <laughs> porridge was the actual, I, I went down the ASX and, you know, what was listed and what, how alcohol producers and companies really benefited uh, in the last couple of years and, with some surprising results. Over the past year, Luke Morris, stocks in the Mm. ASX alcohol... Stocks in the ASX, alcohol industry, have really risen beyond belief. Traditionally, they've been white elephants and you wouldn't invest in a beer company or a wine company or a brewing company for that matter because they're invariably, um, you know, shady deals or or whatever. But there has really really? been – Yes, they've traditionally been bad performers. Well, you know, the old – Shady deals though? Why would they be shady deals Well, not so much much shady deals I remember back in the day
0: they had the – what was it? The snake? oil
1: <laughs> pyramid schemes Ponzo schemes
0: ponzu schemes. yes
1: but traditionally the um you know they, they've been not the greatest performers because it's agriculture first and foremost you know so in the past you you're tired to agriculture and watching you know the uh you're either in the red yeah, but, or in the black pretty quickly
0: yeah
1: but in the last year Australia's had some pretty pretty good uh, performers. What what led me down this price? What led me down? You know, after our cryptocurrency conversation, you, you do read a
0: lot from the Financial Times. I must add, I, the last few I, I, weeks have I, I, been very Financial Times heavy. Low like Campbell.
1: Well, this, I this find could, myself. Could... I find myself looking into business, the the broader aspect of the business post pandemic, and just seeing. What markets are making capital and what are? And what what popped up in my porridge, long answer to a short question, Lee, was Diageo's share price doubled it, it it rose by two and a half percent so it's selling uh, who, who's at
0: about is it't they a lot of spirit producer the they are
1: spirit they also produce yeah. wine and they also produce um, they produce brown spirits white spirits and wine and also have beer interests but that that's internationally that's on a global scale right and so then I pegged it back to just mm. our market the ASX so the Australian Stock Exchange and the increase overall was frightening from companies like Lark Distillery um, well, in Tasmania. Is this Trey- because, though, is this, do you think any, much of
0: this is actually driven by sales or do you think it's a bit of people stuck at home sitting in a pandemic learning how to use the stock exchange? And as you and I both know, there's a lot of people out there who love wine and spirits as a hobby and they might just throw a tenner like distilleries way because i know people just love the romance of like distillery and other places and they might just be thrown it there or do you think it's actually reflective of an increase in profits and you know that's what the trend is called? and so oh. people are investing because of profit driven rather than just having a bit of fun on the stockies while they're
1: home uh, I, th- I think you know for, for there to be any side of liquidity you've got to be selling right so i think all these companies that are doing well have had a major influx of cash because they've been selling uh booze whether it be brown liquor or wine or beer uh and in the last 12 months the 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 takings the performance has just risen dramatically like and we're talking you know we're talking gains of you know 75% 10% 50% all, all over. One company, Tre- Treasury Wine Estates, has gone up 200%. Ugh. So TWE, you know, and we talk about that big red label and we talk about, you know, making wine from three Spew states. You a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but they have, um, their price has risen from $2 to $10 just in the last 12 months. So if you were on that very early on, you know, you you have trebled your money and some, but beyond that, you know, Lark Distilling, Gauge Road beers, or another one, Australian Vintage, which is the old McGuigan Simeon, which have vines, you know, planted from South Australia through the Riverina to the Hunter. These guy these guys are turning over, you know, big money. You know, two hundred million, three hundred million, treasure like compared to treasuries, um, seven thousand eight hundred million. Like these these are big big numbers, but They're based on people being at home, sure, but their intake has gone up. Like, it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous
0: See, the part of the thing that floats through my brain is that in terms of this show i do work for a big wine company and you work for a small one you really mm. have your finger on the post of all the big companies are going around <laughs> i got no idea about any of this stuff why are they making the money because people are sitting at home and they haven't got the chance to go out and interact and uh psychologically having a glass of uh wine Uh, And I say chemically, having a glass of any sort of alcohol beverage uh, kicks some uh, social inputs into the brain, some dopamines and um, uh, glutamates and things like that. I don't think it impacts serotonin as much as dopamine. Um, But it does have a social impact into the brain, and therefore people did gravitate to having a couple of extra drinks to try and replicate that social environment at home. Mate, I don't know if they went to the extent of blowing up a balloon and putting it onto cardboard boxes like I did, just to have a chat to someone. I'll <laughs> Macaulay Colkin in Home Alone. You know, you got to you got to do what you can in in lockdowns, man, just to try and Absolutely. get through the moments.
1: Some people wouldn't have gone to that extent, Luke. But I can I can I can feel your pain.
0: I'm a creative soul, mate. Just uh, I'm a yeah. creative social soul. Part oh, of that that's... is a lo- part of that is a lie. I don't consider myself very social.
1: Well, you definitely got soul. I love I love the effort. I love your creativity, Luke. You definitely got soul. So, the good part, the good part is you.
0: Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books. So visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's au u k e m o w r i s h a dot com have a great
1: day. But you, Thanks, you mentioned man. people. You mentioned you mentioned people leaning, leaning to alcohol and leaning on alcohol in whatever whatever way, shape, or form that might be. Yeah. But that kind of brings us that brings us to the topic of the day, and I'm glad you raised it. But I think first, what we need to do is define low alcohol or no alcohol oh, yeah. for the listeners, right? Ah. So, alcohol free is actually 0.05, dealkylized is less than 0.05, and low alcohol can be no more than 1.2% ABV. So, we're not talking about ah. your low alcohol beers at, you know, 3%. and. They are literally mid-strength low alcohol. Not a a Vino
0: Verde fermented out at 10% as opposed to... No. no.
1: So low alcohol is actually no more than 1.2% alcohol ABV. So I found that really, really interesting because, you know, I've been selling, you know, yes, Semillon or Vino Verde or, you know, Riesling's at under 10% to, to consumers for quite some time now as low alcohol or lunchtime wines. But where, in fact, they're nowhere near it, Um, even though, you know, seasoned professionals could potentially have a bottle of low or have a bottle of Riesling at lunch and go back to work, no problems at all, responsibly, of course, they're actually not low alcohol. So blow me down with a feather. When you brought up this topic, I thought, let's have a deep dive here because the three categories that apply to drinks that are produced are need to be a little bit more transparent for the consumer.
0: Clearly, you've done more research into this than I did. Um, I just assumed low alcohol from a customer who told me about it, that it was things that are closer to that 5 6% bracket, which just sounds like someone's, as you try and figure out how they do this, I assume they, they run the juice through centrifuge and try and extract the different elements, and one of the elements you try and extract is the alcohol. They're not going to cook it. To try and extract the alcohol, and then you know, cool it back down and put it back into the bottle. And I assume the nuts is going to non ferment it and give you white juice. So it's uh, that it has to go is, through a chemical process, no, and chem, no, a chemistry process. That's yes, the only way they can do it. Yeah? Would
1: be that that would be above my pay grade. Actually, I'm not aware of how they do it. Um, centrifuge would be most likely, but. I think you've just explained the process of centrifuge there for the listeners, Luke. But To, to
0: dive into it, because I think it's worth
1: pointing out what they actually do to the wine, is yep. you
0: take a normally fermented wine, or probably something that's fermented differently because of the process it's about to go through, which is uh, put it into a, let's just call it a whizzing device. It whizzes around, it spins yep. the 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 liquid to a degree that it um, separates the components which for anybody who uh, loves wine that sounds like a terrifying idea because <laughs> that's one of the things you try and avoid to do you don't want the components to get too hot or too cold and start separating even all bruised. just or bruised you don't want it to shake and around too much in transport you don't want it to do too many things you want it to you know, live a nice, settled and comfortable life before it goes into your tum tum. So what you are trying to what what they purposely do is, you know, whiz it around and get it to uh, separate a separated level and then from that I think it has something to do with the um the rate of the liquid and they can um separate their alcohol as a I think alcohol is a light chemical component, and therefore they would separate effectively the top part mm. or the bottom part. I'm not too sure which part it would be, but that's how they do it. They have to run it through a real stress test. You see, mm. it would be like when you see those episodes of the person going on, to, training to go on the moon. And they sit in that little chair and then they swing them around the uh, rooms and give them an experience of what it's like to be in a G4 situation. <laughs> a lot like that, but with yes. your wine.
1: Mmm, yummy.
0: And then people drink it. I don't understand why Why go through that. Have you had low alcohol wines, Campbell?
1: I have never tasted one, actually, Luke. But, I mean, if we peel it back a bit, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Everything's, you know, healthy in moderation, but low alcohol, low alcohol wines, any processed food is harmful for the body. And so by my recollection, sure, you're drinking less alcohol and there's less carbs and there's less preservatives. Not always is there less preservatives, mind you, but there's less protein, less fat, all that sort of stuff, blah, 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 less sugar. But, is the taste any better? I, I don't know if it is yet, personally, because I haven't had any. But I must admit, I've sold a few. the The market, has, the consumer shift is real because I've had plenty of requests for low alcohol wines, low alcohol beers, um, mocktails, prepackaged mocktails, all these sort of things. Yeah, um, so I can the- get into a mocktail. I guess you know you have to look at the reasons why people are choosing it because alcohol punches a fair pack. It, it it packs a fair punch, you know, when you're talking about kilojoules or, or sugar. So people might be trying to avoid the sugar. People might be, you know, people might be sober and trying to avoid alcohol as well. So they might have come to the end of their relationship with alcohol and trying to avoid it altogether. So, okay. but it, it, is is it healthier? I I, I don't know because it's a processed food, right? Just like whether you make a lasagna at home or you buy a processed one, the processed one's going to have more preservatives and be less healthy for you than it is when you make it from scratch at home. So, yeah, um, it would have to
0: be though, because if you, you, you're keenly taking away the alcohol, and obviously, you know, we have to admit that alcohol has a negative impact on body, you know, drinking motivation and all that kind of stuff. But you know, yep. if you, if you, as you alluded to, coming to your end of your life with alcohol, your relationship with alcohol it's gonna be healthier than that. I'm just questioning whether or not it's there's better alternatives. I'll go mock, mocktail. I have a ginger yes. beer with, with some uh fruit juice or just yeah. water or what else is out there? I don't want to drink Coca Cola, that stuff. Well they're
1: they're making the um you know, all all the rage at the moment is those canned um mineral water canned seltzers but you know non-alcoholic ones so they've got watermelon in them or they've got you know exotic fruits in them and and these sort of things um but i I guess the low alcohol wines and our our topic today it's it's it is a wine extensively it's just gone through that horrible process which you detailed earlier in our chat but the and extensively what what's the purpose of it well the, the purpose of it if if you've come to the end of your relationship with alcohol to reduce your sugar intake, or also you might just want something of a different flavor compound to counteract your, your, your food, you you know, over and above it, you're just limiting alcohol. So these kind of bevies might be more popular in your house.
0: I don't know. I guess, I guess the thing we have to do a challenge with a bit of taste one and see, you know, whether or not it replicates wine enough to, um, to wine drinking and maybe people just enjoy the taste of it maybe there's something to it
1: anyway. maybe there's maybe there's a challenge for us in the coming yeah. episodes before we wind up the season uh we'll get we'll both get a uh a bottle of the same zero or low alcohol wines and tape it tape it on air taste it tape it on air yeah do a flight yeah See do a flight. flight do a flight mm, look at that
0: uh if you want us to do a flight of your favourite low-alcohol wine, send us in an email.
1: <laughs> <laughs> at uh, Luke's talk Wine to, at gmail.com. What a good idea.
0: That's a, that's correct. Um, and I have a question from a customer, um, which was why the French, why don't the French put um, grapes on the label? Uh, they thought the French were being a bit sneaky, was effectively what they were implying. They were like, oh, they're just trying to get away with things. But it's, it's much bigger than that. It's actually more traditional and far more interesting.
1: It is very traditional and, and far more interesting than that. The great wine regions of the world, whether you're in France or Italy or, or, or Spain, well, we might treat Germany separately, but the great I know. wine I, regions... I was thinking
0: of... about that. Spain, Italy, France, Portugal. Well, Portugal, Portugal. not so much. But um, Germany, yeah, they, they do sometimes put grapes on the label. It's an interesting they,
1: they do. There's a couple of regions in Germany that are allowed. There's there's one region in France that's allowed too, actually, as a bit of a trivia, which is Alsace. But the, the oh, long yes. an- long answer to a short question is why don't the region, why, is, why doesn't France in particular put the region, no, put the variety on yeah. the label? And that's yeah. because the regions the varieties come from are synonymous with the grape varieties grown there. And whether it be Italy or Spain, uh, for this the purpose of this conversation, it's all traces back to history, doesn't it, Luke?
0: Yeah, I think it's actually beyond that. I think because I have explained that in, in, in a way to some people and they sort of think that, oh, well, if it's, it's a snobbery of the audience expecting, of, of the winery expecting you to know, what grape is used, because it's always, you know, associated to that region. And I say, oh, no, actually the better way to think about it is the ranky old French word, terroir. And because to the French, the grape varietal, as important as it is, isn't the be-all and end-all of the wine. It's actually, to put Chardonnay on the bottle of a, a Chablis or Shiraz, on a bottle of Hermitage or Pinot Noir, on a bottle of Red Burgundy, doesn't actually encapsulate what that wine is, because it's more about the soil, the sunshine, the slope, the. the I the I go as far as to say, yeah, the the type, the the yield on the vineyard, but also so far as to say the the type of. Um, the, the culture of the township that it's in, and the way they handle their grapes, and the, and the understanding that they have within that region. And so it's not just the fact that it's made of Shiraz, but it's actually made from the township of hermitage and the people there. Or oh, it's not just um, it's not just uh, Pinot Meunier, Chardonnay, and some Pinon Noir, double fermented. It's champagne. And it's that they listen to that because that's the important thing. It's it's the term the livelihood and the people who are there beyond everything else.
1: That is actually right. one of one of the best and most simplest explanations I've heard in my twenty five year career, Luke Morris. Um <laughs> I couldn't have said Thank it you. better myself. And I hope everybody I hope oh. you're listening, listeners, because Um, Just even if you weren't go for a
0: big wine company, but we sort of know some of the I do anyway. I don't know what the Western company does.
1: Well done. You couldn't have enunciated (laughs) that absolutely better. Um, You're quite right. As an aside, regions like Germany, um, you know, there are some regions in in Germany that do list the variety, but also on that terroir French term, the German Rieslings. Um, are labelled in accordance to when they are picked. Um, so it, they're labelled effectively I, sh- sugar content.
0: To, yes. to clarify that, though, so um, the German Rieslings will be labelled with things such as uh, Cabernet oslace, Beren uh, oslace, baron oslace, there's spatlase, and that's probably one or two I'm missing, um, and ice that wine. is an indication ice wine. But that's not just an indication. Is that just an indication of when the grapes were picked, or is it an indication of the sugar level?
1: Yes, it's a it's a really great call. The... I, know,
0: I know Germans are quite finicky on dates and things like that, and that is something to do for ice wine. I believe that they there is only like there's a certain window within that.
1: Yes, so the, the G- Germany's broken up into about seven or eight uh, different regions and up until recently, as recently as the last couple of years, they actually had uh, different legislations and laws between all of the regions. They are tightening it up. So the regions like rhine Rheinhessen, rhine Hessen, Neu, Feltz, Mosel, they all had their own differing councils and differing uh, regions and legislation. Mo- the Mosul, um, the, I think it might have been the Rheingau, these um, regions that were close to the rivers of the same name uh, labelled by level of sugar. And when they were picked, i.e., as you the aforementioned, you know, Cabinet through to Trockenbeer and Auslese and Icewine, And the other several regions were labelled in some cases by variety and then by the vineyard they were picked from. Um, So it it gets quite difficult when you're drilling down (laughs) in the German reasonings and gets quite complex because they've changed. The
0: Germans would do that.
1: (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? But they, um, because they've changed it several times. But thankfully, in more recent times, they're bringing it back together and allowing those who wish to label uh, by sugar level. Can and those who wish to label by site and place uh, to to do that as well under the one banner, um, and they're taking leads from regions like Austria, um, not rather than France, because you really have to take in the the time of vintage when the wine is picked um, more more so in Germany than than ever. I mean, they do grow other 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 uh, varieties in Germany. Other than Riesling, but Riesling's obviously one of their biggest exports.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you are when Luke's talk Riesling. of course, we're going to talk about Riesling.
1: <laughs> um, we always end up talking about Riesling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the question then, I, uh, interesting thing on the side of that though is the What do you think about the new world and the trend of putting the grape varietal on the label? Because obviously um, somewhere like Austria and and Germany are are putting the grape varietal on there. And I'm I'm assuming that people didn't always know that. Um, And, I mean, there's a follow-up question to that. But what do you you reckon about Australia and the new world and and even the influence we're having on the old world of putting the grape bridal on the label, as opposed to the, the tradition of saying, well, this is Rioja, this is uh, Chianti,
1: this is. I, I must admit, I've changed over the years. So gr- growing up and, and learning and learning about the wines, you know, I really loved the history and the fact that it was named Rioja it wasn't Temp Grenache or the fact that Napoleon, you know, marched his troops past Chevrolet Chambotan and it was labelled red burgundy rather than Pinot Noir. I I think that's great but I must admit now you know having treaded the boards of some great restaurants around the world having managed some great sellers and dealing with all types of consumers Luke Morris I think the accessibility of having the label noting the vineyard as well as the variety is a great thing and it is. It's taking over in the old world as well. In some of the cheapest, cheaper wines, they're labelling with the variety because you can't do it as part of the ruling system. Certainly in France, I once, it you, once you once you use variety, a variety,
0: doesn't
1: it? It does. It makes it accessible for all. Yeah. But I mean, you still in the AOC, right? So Chablis is a great example. You mentioned Chablis earlier in this little pot of ours. If you put Chardonnay on a Chablis bottle, all of a sudden it's out of the AOC, like it can't be really? referred to as a Chablis, yeah, like by law. So all of a sudden wow. they would get thirty percent less for that bottle of wine just having labelled it by its variety rather than the village it's from. Why would they probably be even so more than thirty percent Well they're the Don't French. They, they get Narcis Well say no more, because 'Cause they're French.
0: Don't argue. Does that makes sense. Yep.
1: <laughs> so so far we've we've offended the Germans, we've offended the French. Listening to the podcast, who's next? Uh, uh, can the we Portuguese, offend the or... Italians now? <laughs> no, I won't have that.
0: <laughs> no, we can offend the Italians because I want to ask this question then. What do you reckon about uh, super Tuscans? Because there's an example of someone within an old world country that is dominated by putting the uh, township or the or the region on the uh, on the label, such as uh uh the Borolo and Barbaresco and um and uh prosecco as a, as a Prosecco is a region, isn't it? It is a region
1: and it's, well it's we can't get caught up in Prosecco. but prosecco. Prosecco, prosecco is a region. Is. It is a great variety. It is a style. It gets a little all a bit confusing. Uh, no, Super Tuscans not yet do they label by variety. The what makes them super uh, is they just make they just batter themselves, back themselves to label outside of the set of rules, which what which is what makes them super. So back in the early uh, to mid '60s, early '70s, they just um, labelled outside the set of rules. So instead of conforming to the laws of the Kianti. Um, Consignalera, you know the the ruling committee. They said no, we're not going to do that. We're going to make 100% Sangiovese, and we're going to blend it with New World grape varieties, and we're going to make a difference. And they said no. Well, you can't label it Chianti. You're out on your own. You're out of the group. And they said no worries. And then,
0: I love that. I love their attitude to that.
1: Yeah, well, you just got to look at Paolo Marchi and his wines from. Isolai Alina, he was the more traditional of the lot, making he wanted to make 100% Sangiovese and he wanted to call it Chianti Classico. They wouldn't let him do it, so he called it Separello after the vineyard and it just exploded and it basically put Tuscany on the map in about 81 or... Uh, 82 was a Great Bordeaux Vintage. It might have even been earlier in that. It might have been 79 and it just exploded. We should do a deep dive on Super Tuscans. Uh, you're getting me all emotional, uh, Luke Morris. <laughs> but, um, but they, they basically took on, they took on the big guys and said, we're going to uh, go it alone, and they did. And in some cases, they really put Tuscany on the map. They don't, they don't label just yet with the variety, but they use other varieties than, rather than the traditional ones.
0: Here's another question for you on this topic. Since we, you sort of alluded to it before, The notion Mm -hmm. of Australia's history of labelling wines, we had plenty of wines that were labelled hermitage, plenty of wines that were labelled white burgundy specifically, plenty of uh, Barossa Rieslings that...
1: Plenty of sherry?
0: Plenty of and wine Riesling I'll I'll double down on Mm -hmm. um, that were actually planted to... Uh, grape varietals consisted of things like Cabernet, uh, Semion, semion Blanc, uh, uh, semion from the Brossa. Mm, yummy. Completely the incorrect grape varietal for the traditional region, yet still they'll name that region because that was the inspiration for the wine. And is that actually a better indication of a wine? Should we be drawing on inspiration as the focus or the great idol? Mm.
1: Well, that might be a question for a longer podcast, I would suggest, yeah. Luke Morris. But in, in short, I think history is repeating itself because you've got great producers, uh, particularly here in Victoria, like um, Michael Dillon's one out in Macedon, Mac Forbes in, in the Yarra where they're producing wines and they're labelling it after the, the place. Mac Forbes in his Wirri Yallick Chardonnay, Mac Forbes in his Coldstream Pinot. Like the variety on Mac's labels um, are very, very uh, small or even on the back label in some cases. The same with Michael Dillon's label at Bindi. They are, they are highlighting the land or the place where the wines come from. There are certain producers in the Eden Valley that are doing the same thing. I, I, this, um, the gentleman who makes great Riesling, great red, uh, was in the stock hand, on hand portfolio, Alex Head. Alex Head from the Barossa who grows white wine up in the Eden as well as some great Grenache on the valley floor. He's labelling site first. In fact, going tying this all back in a big, big circle to Dave Power's crypto wine last week from nedler road his wines the shiraz the barrels that he's selling for eleven thousand dollars a barrel with a hologram and a flight flying him to wherever you are they are all labeled
0: don't forget the meat pie dinner
1: oh yes the meat (laughs) pie dinner they are all labeled not with in fact shiraz but with in fact the vineyard that they're grown on And so maybe history is repeating. Maybe we've gone full circle and maybe we're heading back that way where we are um, labelling the village rather than the variety. I think uh, Hunter Ryan Riesling, you know, um, white burgundies, um, labelling something sherry, I think in in this country, I think that is falsifying and uh, putting a barrier up for consumers so they, they're they not getting the full worth of the vine. They're getting confused. They're just, oh, white burgundy, and they're associating it with something different rather than the place it I comes from.
0: I suppose that's a good point because in that, in that sense, you, you're devaluing, you're trying to add value to a product that's not white burgundy. That's right. And it might not, there's no legislation to say that that is even close to it. Nope. As you would expect from Hunter white, uh, Horton's white Burgundy, no offense to the wine, and actually I know plenty of people have enjoyed it over many many years,
1: hmm.
0: but it's not. White it's Burgundy not even from,
1: not even similar.
0: No. What what is what are you drinking this week, Luke Campbell?
1: Well, on on the very back of that, actually, I'm still um I'm st- I'm still in my Chardonnay train. It, it's hard to get off it, but um. You know, last night, Luke, I just had a plain and simple broken wood semi on from 2021, no barrel, all stainless steel fermented, just lemon zesty and, you know, lime blossom and lemongrass, just absolutely delicious, delicious drinking. Not low alcohol, but 10, as I've learned today, but still 10% alcohol, lunchtime wine, but just, yeah, perfect, perfect with a piece of grilled fish, but I could have just had it on its own, to be honest, Luke Morris.
0: Well, I'm going to scoot off. I've got um, I've got to go. Uh, I, I was going to go talk about Chablis, but that's on um, Friday. <laughs> I'm going to scoot off. I'm going to catch you around, mate. I'll um see you what next week.
1: Well, thank you very much, Luke Morris, and I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me on the gram at vinified underscore wine underscore services. Thank you very, 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 very much. Bye bye. Vinified are the wine sellers specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can... Procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk wine. www.vinified.com.au